Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. One of the topics on this show that we devote a lot of attention to is this topic of consciousness rising, conscious awakening, this notion that awareness of something important is occurring, and that's a good thing. I'm reminded of a quote of what consciousness is while we're on this topic. The quote is, Consciousness is a word worn smooth by a million tongues, which means a lot of people talk about it, but few people could really define it, although we seem to know what it is. If we want to go farther, we can say that a rising consciousness is inevitable. Maybe it's natural. And it's leading to a better place where humankind will have a higher appreciation of itself and the world about it, some way of discovering perhaps our true essence. Where we start understanding the old terms nirvana, moksha, the release from the material plane. Now someone who's been a leader in charting the course along this way is my guest today, Miriam Knight. She has a BA and MA in psychology. She's held senior positions in the health and technology industries in you in the US Israel and Europe she's also the founder of new consciousness review which is a leading showcase for people books and films that inspire personal and global transformation she's the host of, of her own award-winning radio show new consciousness radio and Miriam has a new book out that she edited with Julie Clayton that we're going to be focusing on today. It's entitled, What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. In this book, she provides the accounts from 37 leaders in the consciousness movement, each of who have experienced a moment of conscious epiphany. Miriam, it's always a pleasure. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. Yeah, well, I uh, it's always it's always good talking to you because, as I said, I do, and I think not only me, but I think many of us view you as a leader in this field. You you got into this new consciousness uh, movement and the whole uh, aspect of getting people in this area together quite a while ago. So, but but for those who don't know how you made this transition from being in the corporate world to doing what you're doing now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you uh, wound up doing the New Consciousness Review? Well, uh, I was living in England with my husband and a friend of ours, a good friend who uh, was a, one of the underwriters at Lloyd's of London, um, killed himself. Uh, he then started reaching my husband, reaching out to my husband in, in the sleep state and then in the waking <laughs> state. And he wouldn't let him alone until he was able to get a message through to his son. Uh, being absolutely science-based, left-brained, both of us, 
um, this took a bit of, of digesting. And um, once we went through the stage of, is my husband losing it? Um, and then looking into the phenomenon, put, reading everything we could get our hands on, um, we came to accept that uh, not only is this real, and my husband was not going crazy, but this is something that could really help people. And in fact, um, my husband had this vision, it, it kind of blew him open psychically, and he had this vision of one of his friends at a crossroads between uh, a cemetery and a hospital bed. And he understood intuitively that he had to get the message to him to see a doctor ASAP. And he was so effective that the guy went the next day and he found three coronary arteries totally blocked and yeah. one partially blocked. Yeah. And, you know, the, this kind of evidence is, um, is pretty dramatic. But when you look back on it, you look back at your life and you start slotting into place all the little anomalies that you um, dismissed as coincidence right. um, and, and you know, just didn't have a context for understanding, so you just ignored them. Right. Yes, yes. And I think that that's a really good way to put it because when you look back, things start fitting together. It's sort of like a story that is writing itself. It's writing itself fast and it's hard to see all the little things going by. But then when you look back, uh, it's sort of like we were meant to be here in the place that we wound up. The uh, point here is that so many people now, I think, are opening themselves up to these experiences. They're, they're coming out of the closet, so to speak. I mean, we know, Miriam, that there's a long history, a, a big literature on, on psychic events, out-of-body experiences, but it seems to me that the literature is exploding right now as more and more people are exp having these experiences. What, what is your take on this? Well, as you know, Phil, New Consciousness Review actually gets books and films for review, particularly in the body, mind, spirit area. And uh, I've been doing this uh, I, I, even before I started New Consciousness Review. I published a paper magazine in the same area. So I've, I've been doing this for about 15 years. And I, as you say, I have seen an absolute explosion of books of personal awakening over the last um, last few years. But I think, and many of these books actually discuss a personal awakening that started maybe 10, 12 years ago. Right. And th I think that the, the reason that so many books are coming out now is that it's becoming less weird. Right. Uh, more acceptable for people to actually um, talk about psychic phenomena i think with uh, with the new n the new science of quantum physics quantum entanglement um, that people are starting to have a um, a real context for understanding that what they're experiencing is not a psychological um, quirk but is simply an extension into uh, a higher vibratory dimension of the abilities that we were born with. Yes, yes. I think that 
along the line here, it's sort of like as the evidence builds, it's becoming harder and harder to ignore it. I do think there was a mini breakthrough when Newsweek published the excerpt from Proof of Heaven, uh, Eben Alexander's book. I, I think that 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 helped because it's it's in the mainstream. But my own view of this has always been that the problem of acceptance is one of theory. And I think that the reason why most of this, such as out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, synchronicity, so much of it remains sort of still on the outskirts is because it doesn't fit the, sci the current scientific model. But along those same lines, when you have people of credentialed people having these experiences. I mean, I, I go back, I've mentioned before on this show, but Michael Shermer's account of his synchronicity in Scientific American, I don't know if you heard about that a couple I months did. ago, yes. which is yes. just an amazing, you know, it's just a, it's one of my favorite synchronicity stories I've ever heard, um, that when you have doubters like him, skeptics like him, having these experiences, it can't but help the whole movement here. I totally agree, and I, I agree that that was a landmark. There have been a few landmarks, you know, along the way. The, the, the movie, the book The Secret, the right. book and DVD The Secret was one. Um, the What the Bleep Do We Know was another. Right. Um, you know, Eckhart Tolle being on Oprah was another. Right. Uh, as you say, Eben Alexander being on the cover of Time magazine um, I remember John Edwards, the psychic, used to be at midnight on the Sci-Fi Channel, yeah. and then over a few years, he actually came onto main cable at prime time. Yeah. So, you know, the the uh, the openness to these phenomena is just exploding, and um, the reason that Eben Alexander caught, captured the attention was that he was a mainstream neurosurgeon at University of Virginia Hospital. Right my alma mater um, <laughs> yep. and uh, the my my selection of people for what wags the world was also predicated on people who have absolutely impeccable credentials yep. you know we have doctors we have um, CEOs of multinational corporations we have college professors we have top-ranking military officers Yes. Yeah, we have deep sea divers too. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, this this is a phenomenon that is not going to go away, people. So get used to it. Yeah. And it is our heritage. It's these are our innate abilities. And what I am so passionate about is encouraging people to understand that they have an internal guidance system built into them that will help them in every decision they need to make in life. Um, if they but listen to it, if they trust themselves, if they switch off every so often from the, the cacophony that we're immersed in from television, radio, movies, newspapers, pundits, gurus, right. listen to your inner voice, connect with that higher self, that guidance, that is there for you. Yeah, and along the lines, I think that folks that actually give that time, 
whether it's meditation, whether it's reading books in this area that are that are authentic and that are well researched, uh, such as a book perhaps by Amika Swami or or uh, Rupert Sheldrake, that the mind opens and understands more what it is about. It's sort of like coming in tune with your with your real self. One of the things I, I liked uh, about your about this book, What Wags the World, is so is is the way you connect uh, our current need for this with our childhood that it's sort of like rediscovering the magic and I thought that was that was uh, really really important it's something we talk about but I, I think that that's part of what we're doing here rediscovering what it meant what it means to be an open-minded person you know the the opening of the mind is absolutely critical to this time because too many people um, are sort of brainwashed into thinking that they don't have the the background, they don't have the knowledge to make up their own mind about any given subject, whether it's um, to do with your health, to do with the economy, politics, the environment. We have the ability to tap into the knowledge or, or simply to educate ourselves, open our minds, listen. Listen to what your gut is telling you about whether somebody is speaking the truth or not. If, if you just tune yes. into that and, and also be in integrity with yourself. If you know what it feels like not to speak the truth and what it feels like to speak the truth, then you know the difference. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm working on a, a new book right now. I'm just about done with it. It's sort of a, a uh, who moved my cheese kind of a, of a book, although it's impossible for me to write a book that short. But I think it's so important to to hit the pause button at some point of your life and consider these issues we're talking about. And it's and you're exactly right. It seems as if as time goes on, the distractions have increased. It's so hard to find that time in our daily lives between TVs, smartphones, the media, the stresses of working and putting food on the table, that 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 the time to fill your oats seems to be running out in front of a lot of people and but what's so promising here is that as people hit that pause button whether it's going on retreats meditating spending some time walking in the woods or whatever we're seeing more and more people realize that this is not strange this is part of who we are this is philip camello this is conversations beyond science and religion I'm happy to be speaking with Marian Knight, the founder of Conscious of New Consciousness Review and also also the editor, co-editor of a new book called What Wags the World: Tales of Conscious Awakening. Now Marian, I'd like to talk about some of the stories mm-hmm. in your in your book right now and uh, and to and to connect with some things mm-hmm. that we've we've been touching upon. One of the one of the f- the features here of folks in this area is that not everybody in the world thinks as left brain as we do 
in the Western world. For example, this uh, one of the contributors to your book, Georgiana Cannon, talked about how when she was young, she thought that fairies lived in her garden in England, and then she realized in the West, in the in the U.S., that was really a strange thought. What what have you what have you learned from talking to people around the world about the the relative openness to this? Do you think that the U.S. is behind the curve here? We're catching up, or, or how do you how do you um, interpret the differences between different cultures in approaching these issues we're we're discussing here? Well, I think that it is pretty well agreed that indigenous cultures are live so much closer to everyday magic. Um, I remember interviewing Brad Keeney, uh, who did a book about the Bushmen. Um, in in Australia, right. and the um, the ropes of magic, you know, it, it's just something that they live with. The the, the Peruvian Indians, um, Native Americans, um, and I think that the reason they live so close to earth magic, to spiritual magic is because they live in the silence. I think what you said earlier about going into the quiet space, going into the silence, is uh, is a recurrent theme of all the, the stories in my book, that that is the way that you access your intuition, you develop it. And intuition is something that can be developed. Uh, you you can you can sharpen it. You can you can. It's like learning the piano. You know when you anybody can bang on the keys, right. but to to make a melody come forward and then to bring it forward with passion and elegance takes practice. And uh, the the best practice I think everyone agrees is is something like meditation or or being in nature, being in solitude. Yes, I in in thinking about the stories in your book, it, one thing that really, really struck me is how mm. similar many of the accounts were. And, and that reminded me of uh, PM Atwater, who you've probably had on your show, I've had, I had her on my show a couple months ago, who the, the near-death researcher. And one of the things that she remarked in her, in her, rec- in her book, in her newest book, uh, was that one of the things that proves these things to be true is the commonality of the experiences. And I think that that, that really, to me, means something. So, so first of all, with regard to what wags the world, what, what drove you to put this book together? Well, I have um, read and reviewed uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of books um, I have a much smaller subset of uh, the authors of these books as guests on my radio show. Um, I'm in the lucky position of getting to cherry pick. And then amongst those, as you say, I was um, remarking on the similar threads of storyline in their particular awakening stories as I got to know them. And particularly uh, against the background of my husband's experience and then my subsequent experiences, I felt that what is so important for this time is to give people a context for understanding um, 
the notion of conscious awakening and the many, many different ways that it can happen. It can happen uh, as the result of a trauma, uh, like a near-death experience. It can happen when you get to the low point in your life and you just have nowhere else to go and you finally surrender and you say, God, help me. And and guess what? Yeah. God does. Yeah. Uh, it can happen just as a gradual process, as an intellectual exercise of an open spirit and mind where you start eliminating um, uh, the distractions and, and the, you connect the dots, as you say, and you say, there has to be more than this. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. It, 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 yeah, go on. Well, no, I was going to say, for I'm, I'm really interested, and I think the listeners would be interested, for someone that has been in this field for as long as you have, that, have read, that has read so many books and interviewed so many people, what does conscious awakening mean to you? What is it? It's as different as the individuals on the planet. Um, But there are similarities. Um, One one element that seems to underlie all of them is a sense of a greater intelligence, whether you want to call it God, um, the the universal mind, Atma, whatever, uh, a greater intelligence orchestrating, um, well, not, not really orchestrating, but a greater intelligence in which we are embedded, understanding that we are all individuated sparks of this divine ocean of energy and consciousness. Yeah. So consciousness kind of underlies, uh, connects, forms, creates everything. And the only way that consciousness can expand, that God can expand, that God can know himself, is by separating off a little piece and observing what happens when that piece um, goes and creates as a, a free entity. And then comes back after this lifetime to report on the experiences that it's had. And that's what happens with the life review. Uh, When you see your own experiences, and the life review is the common thread amongst the vast majority of near-death experiences. That's how we come to know about it. Yeah, there's a lot there. And I think that the whole topic of, of conscious raising or consciousness evolution is such a rich topic. It's something that it's you know we should be spending more time on and i know there are are schools uh, of you know consciousness schools and consciousness books but it's it's something that is so rich in meaning uh, the way i've i've been trying to understand it lately is that if you look at yourself as an individual we talk about maturity and we talk about going down this tra- uh, going up this trajectory where where just naturally you understand things more. If you consider that that uh, that the trajectory is 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 God understanding itself, that's a lot longer of a path. And 
I think that's really what it means to me. And I think that the, the, the old Hindu notion of Atman uh, folding over Brahman or the self understanding it's part of God is, is exactly, what, exactly what it means. But it's something that has to happen inside. You, you know, we could sit here talking about it, but it's something that you don't know it's happening until it really does. And that's, that's what I think is happening today, Miriam, is that more and more people are starting to understand this. It's not, it's not that this is such an outlier anymore because more and more people have had these experiences and they're able to, to identify with them. Um, I, I certainly agree with that, Phil. Um, but, but you know, there, there are other degrees of awakening and other expressions of conscious awakening. So one of uh, the common um, reports from the book, I, by the way, I asked in the book, I, I interviewed um, 37 people and asked them the same three questions. Was there an experience that changed your perception of the nature of reality? Two, what insight did you have as a result and how did that change your life? And then three, do you have a message for the reader? What is your message? Yeah. So um, in, in the common uh, threads in the book, um, the change in their lives as a result of their insights or awakening um, tended to push them into a path of service to the greater good. So being um, an instrument of doing good in the world uh, seems to be kind of central to our humanity to our our sense of humanity um, and and of fulfilling the purpose that we were put here for yeah I think that that is some, that is a thing that definitely comes across and that can only be a good thing and if you and, and this is where um, you know as I said in the beginning of the show that this notion of of awakening, it, it is a good thing. It's not just an intellectual pursuit. It reminds me uh, of a Buddha, uh, of course, the awakened one, where he, he said, you know, one of the eightfold paths is right conduct. And we sort of, you know, recite the eightfold path and as, as if they're sort of, uh, uh, you know, boxes on a, on a board or something. But the point is, is that along the line of understanding the unity also comes this interdependence as i think one of your uh, contributors said and and also, and i think i think larry dossi in his his contribution uh talked about uh the un about the about the moral component and then you had somebody else talking about the 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 notion that the humankind is one family i was really struck by how many of the contributors wound up with a moral component to their stories and i thought i thought that i th so what do you what do you think about that i mean is that something that you notice as well when you say a moral component it it really um i think it really comes down to kindness yeah um and in fact i i believe that that was um peter russell the physicist's comment you know it all it really all comes down to being kind yes um, I, I just want to interject another note into the mix. And the other common theme was uh, the theme of love, which is 
a vastly misunderstood concept. Uh, thank you. Thanks to Hollywood and and right. the popularization of romantic love, um, or I should say the the degradation of romantic mm -hmm. love. Um, love is, in my uh, understanding, and <laughs> I should say in my understanding of today, because <laughs> my understanding of tomorrow will be different. Um, love is really the motive uh, force of the universe, and most of the people equated God with love. And when they had near-death experiences and went into the heart of God, I, I think your guest, Evan Alexander, put it very um, eloquently, that the, the center of God is such an overwhelming sense of unconditional love that is so difficult to express just through through words. And it's, it's an experience that they never, never forget. It's totally transformative. And once you feel this, this enveloping love of God, of the universe, um, holding you in its hand, um, you, you are uplifted, you are so joyful. And this is another aspect of the people who come back. They are joyful. Um, one of the gals, Irene Kendig, I love what she said. She said, there is no wrong way to do life. Mm. And then Anita Morjani, who had a, a near-death experience, said what she learned in her voyage to the other side was that we don't love ourselves enough. That by not loving yourself, um, you just open, you, you kind of close down the receptors in your body to this flow of universal love, and you dry up and you open yourself to disease and cancers and things. She, as you know, went into um, hospital in, in a coma in stage four lymphatic cancer, had a near-death experience, and then cured herself of cancer within days through through intention. Yes. Yeah, I mean... Uh... You are, um, how can I put this, also a student of alternate forms of healing. And I was wondering what connection you have drawn between this notion of conscious awakening and health itself. It's big, a big topic, but, but do you see a connection there in, in, your, in your research, in your, in your um, reading that you've had over the years? That's a very intriguing question, Phil, and there is absolutely a connection. Um, and it's very, very multifaceted. Let's, let's tr start with the notion of everything is connected. Um, where we are part of an ecosystem in our physical form that was designed to create the, the, the most perfect engine or vehicle for experiencing life and for creating uh, new forms, creating new ideas. Our physical bodies. Our physical bodies are nurtured by the food we, the fuel we take in, the food, the water, the sunlight. And the more we denature the raw materials of which we are made, you know, we don't think of it. 
These are the raw materials that go into the body to replenish ourselves. And if we don't take in the highest quality raw materials, we don't get the highest quality body, the end result. It's like, you know, it's like a a cheap knockoff of a Gucci bag that's made in the Far East. (laughs) You know, it's going to fall apart. And this is what's happening. Our bodies are falling apart because our um, our food is factory farmed. It's it's pesticide, hormone laden. It is um, grown in vast monocultures that have depleted the minerals from the soil. Um, we live in an environment. We live in a sea of electromagnetic frequencies that impact our our electrical system don't forget we are we are electromagnetic beings that are held together we're we're primarily space and electromagnetism and consciousness and and the lower the vibration the more physical the material so if if we um and underlying it all is consciousness right right now if we raise our consciousness, if we awaken to who we are, we naturally start looking for clean water, organic food, um, cleaning up our environment, being activists, um, and, and somehow helping the world lift itself. And there are many ways to do it. There are activists, um, you know, just on the home front, the way you raise your own children, you nurture them, you may homeschool them, you, you, know, you, know, you do your best for them. Um, we may be activists for the environment or for ju- economic justice. Um, we, we come to the point where we want to give back. We want to help the whole of which we are a part rise up to a a better plane to really um, experience the joy of creation, experience all that we can be, because we have really, really infinite potential. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I think that that was, I think that that is really the beauty, and I didn't want to interrupt you there, although mm. we could go on, we're going to go on on this, but I think that is the beauty of this whole area, this whole notion of conscious awakening, of the new consciousness, of the consciousness of rising. Because along with the consciousness, and I like to use the word awareness as being one descriptor of what's going on here. As you become more aware of the depth of the miracle of reality of the world come with that awareness to me comes responsibility it has to it, it they are connected because you realize that this is not this is something that is so unusual it's so unlikely that we're here and we are connected to the at the ground of being and there it's part of us and therefore love comes in to play here a better appreciation not only for the physical world uh, nature etc and the environment but also for ourselves and I think that that is why this I like to call it maybe a snow I, I haven't thought of the right metaphor here whether it's a snowball the tidal wave slowly building you know uh, ocean wave whatever but the point is is that as the power increases, as the number of people along the way 
uh, have this have this understanding not only that this is not a strange thing but it's a natural thing and that we we have this and we're on this mission together uh, that's this is what gets exciting to me this is Philip Camello this is conversations beyond science and religion I'm speaking with Miriam Knight the author or the co-author the co-editor I should say of the new book what wags the world tales of conscious awakening and we're talking here about the connection between consciousness and, and rising consciousness and health itself and and I I want to I want to put one thought in your head Mary and I'd like you to comment upon it because to me there is a connection because when you go inside yourself you connect with the spiritual oneness the divinity whatever we're calling the quantum field the zero point field whatever the word we're going to use I think we're also accessing the divine accessing the power of the divine and I think that that leads to some of these accelerated healings I think it helps so I'm just wondering what you think of that 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 notion of accessing the the source so to speak I think that people don't understand don't appreciate just how powerful thoughts are yeah and when you play negative tapes in your head I'm not enough I'm my my parents had uh, my father died of heart disease at age 50 so I'm going to my mother had breast cancer so I'm gonna get it Um, these are all potentialities and we um, can manifest uh, disease in our lives um, through uh, depriving ourselves of the life force that we get from positive thinking, meditation, uh, clean food, water, sunshine, joy in our lives. That These are all life-giving activities. The opposite depletes our life force and we become susceptible to diseases and manifesting diseases. Yeah. And I, I wanted to go back to another word that you used, which was responsibility. Um, we must be aware of the consequences of our choices. And this this happens at every level. So at the physical level, it's the choices of how we live our lives, how we eat. You know, too often um, parents feel that uh, they have to do well, you know, the best they can for their children. And so they work all the hours that God gave. They put the children into daycare. Um, they see them. A, a, a recent study said that the average um, parent actually interacts with their child for 19 minutes a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. this this is not the way to to nurture a a little divine human being. Um, and so many children, if you gave them the choice between, um, the latest electronic gadget or flat screen TV and just spending quality time and and feeling the love of a parent would realize what was really important. So this is another form of awakening. A lot of people who have it made, um, have absolutely every material benefit and there are stories in the book like this 
And then they say, why am I not happy? What is missing from my life? And then they come to realize that what is missing is the spiritual dimension that really nourishes your spirit. Yes, I think that that is something that uh, is true for everybody, and it cannot help but but improve our our state of minds. I, I it strikes me that the more I read um, in this area, and I thought, and I think that that your book, What Wags the World, is a really good example of it. It's sort of like the 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 thousand faces of God, or the million names of of spirit or it's everybody has sort of their own perspective but we're talking about the same thing and this is and everybody has a voice and something to say about this 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 divine source we we have been raised with these categories with the religious orthodox categories and and for so long so many people, and it still happens, the majority of people still do it. When we think of God, we immediately think of whether it's Jesus Christ or whether it's um, the, the fatherly God in the sky with the long beard. We tend to put these things in categories. But what we're learning here is that when you break down those categories and you experience this stuff yourself, it, it means so much more. It has so much more meaning, and now and then we start living like the great religious leaders instead of just praying to them. And it's that's a fabulous point, Phil. And in fact, I just interviewed um, yesterday. It's going to air next week. Um, Neil Donald Walsh, who just wrote a book called "Message from God: Colon You've Got Me All Wrong." Right. Um, it's a delicious book, and that's exactly his message. You know, revelation, the revelations of the great religion kind of pulled in people who wanted to um, to somehow reach into the mystery. Um, and what he's saying is that revelation did not just cut off you know, with the last great prophet. Revelation is what we experience every time we go into meditation and connect with with the divinity. That That is our birthright, that God speaks to us every day in every way. And um, I, I really can't emphasize enough the importance of going into the silence and trusting yourself in being able to to make this direct connection yeah and just just on the minor synchronicity um category here i just got his i just got that book myself sent to me uh the the new deal uh neil donna walsh book and i will be reading it but but um you know it's it's nice it's nice to know that we have a lot of people thinking the same thing and and starting to restructure our approaches to these big issues of spirituality. Now, in your book, I'd like you to have you maybe talk about some of your favorite uh, stories or anecdotes from the book. And I know there's 37 of them, so there's no way we're going to cover all of them. <laughs> but, 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 but some of them may have, uh, you know, 
stuck out for you as as being particularly uh, poignant or, or 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 educational? Can you uh, talk about one or two uh, that that you resonated with yourself? Well, I resonated with all of them, obviously, right, but right. Um, I, I think I'll, I'll give you a selection of. Uh, tales. Um, Suzanne Giesman was a commander in the U.S. Navy. She was on the Pentagon staff. I mean, this was a gal who believed only in uh, facts, figures, what she could see, uh, hear, and smell. And then her stepdaughter died, and she and her husband went to visit a medium to try and get some form of comfort because it was a very she was young and it was a very tragic occurrence. The medium blew their minds because she told them things that she could not possibly have known. And this is what happens so often when when people are are in grief, they will reach out for any form of comfort. But being the the left brain type she was, she then, when she left the military, started investigating this as a reporter would and ended up writing a few books about mediumship and she was in a mediums class one day um, you know as a reporter and the medium turned to her and said now you Suzanne please give a reading to these people here Mm -hmm. and Suzanne then proceeded to give everybody in the room a reading that was absolutely accurate Mm -hmm. and blew their minds and blew her mind yeah yeah, that, that, that's amazing. It also sort of connects with the point you just made about Neil Donald Walsh, where there, which is we all may have this ability at some level to connect to uh, the spiritual source. I thought, I thought again, that was, a, that, was a, that was a good story, and it sort of points up what you said earlier about you have highly credentialed people giving these stories. This, these are not, you know, folks on some drug trip or something. Uh, it, mm. That 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 kind of thing, um, you know, I thought was really powerful. It it leads me to 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 a question I written down here about the connection between psychic phenomena and and, and you know, and using that word broadly and consciousness raising. And I, along those lines, I think one of the contributors talked about how. Psychic phenomena comes from the heart. I, yeah, I, I think that was Jack Rourke. Right, right. Um, Jack wa- is uh, a psychic who kind of um, had his abilities blown open when his twin sister died and uh, came to him uh, immediately after she passed. Now, she had been in a wheelchair and, um, you know, severely limited all her young life. But when he saw her, she was skipping and laughing and, and joyful and free. And when he went down to the gathering of relatives sitting around with long faces and he was absolutely beaming, you know, it was kind of very dissonant. But um, he, uh, over the years, developed his psychic abilities. And in fact, he was used as the consultant to the movie The Mentalist mm. and the the character of Patrick Jane was actually modeled after him. Huh. That's a good one. That's it. And you know what what uh, Jack said was that being psychic does not mean that you are spiritual. Um, living a spiritual life is never an effect of psychic activity. Walking the spiritual path has nothing to do 
with nurturing a connection to spirit guides, angels, and so on. Being spiritual means facing reality as it presents itself while living and knowing confidently that you, as you are, are enough. And when you love yourself enough to allow yourself to be seen in such a way that permits others to be as they are as well, the divine presence that is you manifests as your human being. Yeah. Um, I thought that was just beautifully put. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think that is I think that is um, pretty powerful. I like the the couple of in the book. There's a couple stories of precognitive dreams. There's one by Larry Dossie. I thought that was very um, that was very powerful, and it's it's something that a lot of people where he I think he dreamt of kid coming into the emergency room and some chaos occurring over his over treating him and then a, a day or two later he really he relived the same thing and I think some people may have the question here Marion whether whether do you have to have one of these psychic experiences one of these out-of-body experiences or near death no, in order no, to a- get here abs- absolutely not one of my favorite um, people in the world, actually, and, and, and stories, was that of Paul von Ward. Now, Paul, I think, was a seeker from earliest childhood. He grew up in a sharecropper's shack he was, uh, in Florida. He became an evangelical minister. He went to university, became a psychologist, went into the Navy, um, became a, uh, an officer, um, and uh, just he was going to be given command of a PT boat, but he decided that the at, at each stage in his progression, he decided that the world that he was being forced into was not broad enough, and so he kept on looking for a broader canvas. He eventually went into the foreign service, and he became a senior diplomat in the State Department. Now, at every stage his inquiring mind was trying to understand the universe. And the answers he was being given just were not, they didn't compute, they were not enough, they were limited. And um, he, he has ended up um, researching simply by virtue of his cur- intellectual curiosity and his formidable mind and intelligence, researching um our economic systems, our political systems, researching our contacts with extraterrestrials, and we don't know, he doesn't say, but and we don't know what kind of inside information he might have had on those scores. But um, he's a man who has um, just awakened by force of his intellectual and spiritual curiosity. Yeah, the, the it's amazing how uh how many people are are as we said earlier how many people are i think are on the brink of of this same awakening and it brings up a topic that uh i think we've talked about before and that is all that's always front and center and the which is this whole uh world shift uh, world awakening you know it's got a big big fancy title um, whether it really may be a gra- a grassroots movement it it could be 
and I was thinking about this as I was reading your book and preparing for the show, it could be we may not need to change the, the, the textbooks. It could be that people will stop reading them. And by textbooks, I mean the, the old line materialistic textbooks. It could be that this, that, that this will be a tidal wave that will wash over the old way of thinking. It's just going to occur without a quote-unquote um, tipping point. I think we're seeing that today, Phil. I think we're seeing people starting to think for themselves. Yeah. That is the bottom line. Yeah. Thinking for yourself, using your own internal gut feeling as to whether you are being given a snow job or whether people are speaking the truth. Um, unfortunately, uh, who was it who said if a politician's lips are moving, he's lying? Yeah. Um, we're we're we've got um, these particularly young people connecting in a way and and cross-referencing information in a way that has never been possible before because yeah. of the internet, because of social media. They have an unmediated direct link with each other. Yeah. And um, the the rather tragic uh, ending of the Arab Spring in in um, the the Middle East, right. um, hopefully, will return. Um, I you you look at the world today and the the violence, the absolutely depravity of the terrorist movements and the only comfort i can draw from them is that it may be and and remember we cannot we cannot divorce ourselves from responsibility here um they are a manifestation in a world that each of us has created and yeah. is part of yeah we are not separate from them Yes, yes. In, in a sense, they are our shadow side. Yeah. And I think they are serving the, um, the, the, the use of putting this in our face, putting our, our, our fears, our violence, our attachment, our anchoring into the past because of our fear of the future. Um, so, so many people... Um, are against progress because they fear the unknown yes. rather than knowing that they have the power to create the next step and just acknowledging that um, the new world that we're living in needs new answers. We will never, ever ever be able to turn back the clock yeah yeah well the it, you know as you were as you were talking a couple of things uh hit me one of them is that i hate to say it but the mainstream media really does like confrontation it really does fuel um adversariness it likes to it likes to watch people beating up each other shooting at each other um i i I do think there's truth to the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. And when you think about it, and, and that's a struggle I think that a lot of us, including me, are having, is that 
the this this separateness this notion that the other is an enemy and has to be destroyed is a is a uh, tactic doomed to failure i was i was reading um a book of my my next guest robert teal and and he says i think it was him in there in his book he has a quote from somebody who says that the best way to eliminate an enemy is to befriend them and i think that that is something that we need to understand you can't just go out and quote unquote kill everybody that's not that's not going <laughs> that's not going to work and this and this goes this goes into the love it goes into the conscious raising and this is why i'm sort of going in this direction is that you know, Miriam, this is not just all the stuff we're, we're, you know, we talk about on, on, on this show and I'm sure on your show. This is not just touchy-feely, let's just, you know, sit in a Kumbaya, campfire. Right. Yeah. Let, yeah, let's just not sit around a campfire and sing songs. This is something that the only way we're going to see this work is if it becomes real. And I think Diane Collins, my friend, um, she, she said it well in your, in your book about basically walking the talk. Uh, you know, living, living the, the, the truth, not just talking about it. And, and I think that that's really what the, the, main, the main message here for me. You always have to have the theory. You have to have the thought first. You have to have the intention, the idea, the concept. But it's putting all these fine thoughts into motion, into reality, I think, that uh, is going to bring about real change. And so um, we have quickly come to the end, and uh, I'm going to give you a little time to talk about all the, all the things you're doing, but I want to make sure the listeners understand that Marion Knight is really a hub uh, for a lot of what's going on in this field, um, and, and anything she's doing is worth, is worth uh, listening to and reading about. So, so Marion, for those who don't know about you, why don't you just uh, give a couple words about how they could find out more. Well, thank you, Phil. Um, yes, my website is New Consciousness Review, and we have a magazine, a digital magazine, that is a roundup of um, reviews and interviews and, and really um, kind of fun multimedia experience. It's on ncreview.com for New Consciousness Review. And Phil, I want to thank you and, and give you a, a kudos on the work that you're doing. I, I loved your book, The Collapse of Materialism, and um, you know, I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, well, it's, al- it's, it, it's always a pleasure, and I want to just uh, end with just this notion that uh, Pierre Del Jardin was probably correct, uh, that there is this evolution of consciousness going on, and uh, and it appears to be a natural process, and and folks in this area, including Marion and, and yours truly, to the extent um, I can, we are we are trying to accelerate this 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 evolution. I think that's what this is all about, uh, where we transcend the the divisions of the past. So this is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Join me next week when we'll have. Uh, Roger Teal on the show and is to talk about his new book, This Life is Joy. We'll see you next week. Marion, thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Phil. 
You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 